This episode is sponsored by Nitor, a digital engineering company. People are lazy by nature and thus need to be supervised. This is one of the myths that Nitor wants to bust. Without trust, a lot of energy is wasted and people work against each other. Instead, a better digital world is created through flexible structures and agile management. Nitor ranks extremely well in both customer and employee satisfaction. Our clients and our employees are smart, so it would be stupid not to trust them, says Matti Vilmi, the CEO of Nitor. To learn more about the myths Nitor is busting, go to nitor.fi slash myths. Welcome to the Basel Podcast. You're listening to the last episode of the fourth season. After this episode, the podcast is going to be on a summer break until August or September. That should give you ample time to catch up on the episodes you haven't yet listened to or re-listen to the ones you want to learn more from. If you've enjoyed this season of Basketball Podcasts, please give the podcast a rating on iTunes and share your favorite episodes on social media. Ratings and shares are an easy way to show your appreciation and help me make the podcast. If your company is interested in sponsoring the podcast, contact me at sami at bossablepodcast.com. And a huge thank you to all the sponsors of the podcast so far. Today, I'm chatting with Sara Örval. Sara is the co-founder and senior advisor at MindMill Network. MindMill helps companies understand how digital technologies impact their business. Before MindMill, Sara was the senior vice president of R&D at the Bonnier Group. Sara sits on several boards. For example, she's on the board of SEB, a Nordic corporate bank, and Investor, the leading owner of Nordic-based international companies. She also writes a column for Dagens Industri, which is the financial daily of Sweden. In 2017, Sara was selected for Wired's list of 50 most inspiring female influencers from across Europe. So she's one of the best and brightest women in technology. We talk about the impact technology will have on people and businesses and how our companies should adapt to that change. I was born um, close to the Arctic Circle in the middle of nowhere in the north of Sweden. And when you're born there, you just know you have to move. It's sort of in your blood and that's everything they tell you every day like when are you moving what are you going to do and therefore you're built for change right because that's the only thing you know you don't know what you're going to do but you know you need to change and there's something about that background that I think has a great impact on people um and especially (laughs) that's what I experienced so I studied uh, at the university and then my first position was actually for Toyota in Tokyo Which is kind of weird. Um, But I got a scholarship and it was, you know, like a project-based employment. Um, But pretty interesting way to start your working life. um, I'm sure. In many ways. So uh, what kind of things, like, were you uh, somehow involved with the factories or what kind of work were you doing with Toyota? No, so I worked for the International Marketing Division. So it was more about building concepts for the cars um especially for the european market um but what was interesting for me was that i soon realized like in the car industry you're actually at this intersection between really advanced technology but also understanding the users and consumers and 
there's an interesting interplay there, which I found very challenging and interesting. But then I decided to leave and go back to to Volvo, the Swedish car manufacturer. So I wanted to stay within the industry, but changed companies to an environment where it was easier to be both young and a woman. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Japanese culture was not easy uh, in that respect. Not at that point in time. Yeah. Um, it's definitely changed since that, but it was a tough first job um, to, to start with. They said gladly when I entered the office that, you know, we have equality here. We have as many men as women employed. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And then I soon noticed that's because every male had a female assistant making tea for them. So it's <laughs> oh, no. that, that kind of made it hard yeah, to survive yeah. or at least have some interesting work challenges. Yeah. So uh, did you have any chance to, to kind of look at the way that, that the factories were run? Oh, absolutely. And that's interesting the way they work because it's everyone who works there, they have to work in the factory for a few weeks. Everyone has to work at the dealership for a few weeks. There is no way you can enter the company, at least at that point in time, they might have changed. But it's it's so important for the culture. And yes, even this is mid 90s, but they were already then very advanced in their thinking about continuous improvement and all these work method ideas that they, they really pushed through. And um, I found very, you know, interesting to learn and, and then maybe apply in a little bit different way sure, in other sure. working environments. So then you moved to Volvo. So how is Volvo doing with continuous improvement and, and all these kinds of things? Well, Volvo had already done a very advanced um, product development method that sort of included uh, design thinking and um, user data and user experiences very early in the process. And you worked with cross-functional teams from day one in every new car development project. So it, it's um, it was an interesting environment to move to. And it also, I immediately understood that there is no way you can be part of this environment and be important unless you understand technology at its core. I think my key insights that I've kept with me from that point in time is that unless you're at the core of what's happening in a company, you tend to be in, in support functions and, and quite often technology is that core. Um, so for me, it became important to sort of be much closer to the heart of the ideas because that's where the creativity is okay that's interesting so then you worked for volvo for for some period of time what happened after that and then i uh, realized that uh, i've tried big companies but i never started one on my own so i left and i found two partners and we started uh, a consulting firm doing brand-driven design and innovation will differ and we ran that one and I moved back to Stockholm um, because I was living in Brussels at this point in time. And it ran right into the dot-com area in the middle of it. And Stockholm was very, very active during that period in time. So running a um, design and innovation and brand agency at that point in time was very exciting. <laughs> so I moved there in 98. Sure. We had two fantastic years. And then the third year, 2001, it all became pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So uh, what happened with the consultancy? Did you have to close down or? No, we were operating in five countries. So we consolidated to two and then we actually 
managed to sell the company to an international um, communication network. Okay. Um, so we survived, but it was a tough experience. And obviously everyone who's been through that part have a lot of thoughts about how random things can be. Because there were some beautiful, really good business ideas that had to die in that period of time just because they were uh, in time. this sort of mass psychology of that everything, this internet is now dead. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it was a pretty brutal period too, where you could see a lot of talent being disillusionized. And okay, so after after that, uh, was that the time when you went to Bonnier or...? No, I uh, at that time I realized I needed some new insights and knowledge. So I actually moved to New York and studied design and architecture uh, just to have a break and uh, <laughs> inspiration. Then I founded another company and um, we did um, innovation well, based on new technology. And we had Bonnier as a major client. Okay. Uh, and it became a very major client. And then at one point, um, there was a new CEO joining and he said, well, you better bring your team inside this company and, and then build an R&D inside instead because we desperately need it. And I thought it was a really interesting challenge. Yeah. Okay. So what did the R&D do inside Bonnier? So our responsibility was both to transform the existing businesses to help them uh, to identify new business models and build new products for them. But also when we could see that existing divisions were not either capable of or interested in um, some business ideas, we would take them and internalize them in our own team and build them separately and launch them to the market. How many years did you spend at Bonnier? Six years. Six, six years. years. And then, yeah, as um, senior vice president of R&D. But two of those years, we transferred half, half of the team to San Francisco. So I was based in San Francisco building the R&D for the U.S. market. Okay, okay. And and after the Bonnier years, you started Mindmill. Yes, so I left 2014. And then I had this, you know, if you've been six years in a company where you tried to transform and, and adopt to all these changes, and not only in technology, but also how the users behave and the competitive landscape, and you could just see it starting to happening in all these other industries so it just felt like all the things that i've learned should be possible to apply to other parts of of the society or the industry so um that's what i saw as an opportunity and that's what mind mill is doing uh you mentioned that you've lived in new york san francisco brussels tokyo stockholm then in the very northern parts of Sweden. And Singapore, I forgot. And Singapore. Wow. Okay. So that's a good good range of different kinds of cities. Uh, which one did you uh, like the most? I think I loved living in San Francisco the most. It's not only because of the city, but also because of, you know, the whole atmosphere and the smart people and all the experts you meet from across the world. And also primarily the energy. Like you feel like anything can be, happen today and maybe it actually does. Okay, so when you look uh, look at your career as as a whole so far, what do you feel have been your most defining moments? Like, what where did you learn the most, or what what was most scary, or or something like that? Well, I think moving to another country, especially if you're responsible for an area. In Singapore, I was um, responsible for Taiwan, China, Hong Kong for for Volvo cars. 
and that really puts a lot of pressure on you once you sort of see that you at least almost manage uh, in a new culture it, it's it makes you grow and you learn an awful lot so I, th- I think all the moves between different countries have been very defining but um on the more sort of specific moments i think when you do product launches there's something about when you work with a team for a very long time to 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 build a car like the cross country concept that we built for volvo when you manage to launch it and you have it out in the market and you see real people driving it in the street there's this enormous uh, feeling of it it really feels um exciting and, and it's a happy moment because you can see all those decisions you made through the process and suddenly they're live and i think the same when you work with media when you manage to launch we built an, an ipad application for popular science it could launch popular science at the same day as the ipad was launched in the us and it, it's it's just a very nice you know almost like proof of that Sometimes things become reality. <laughs> yeah, something, Not that it changes the world, but... But something invisible actually becomes visible. Yeah, I guess. And all those thought processes, those creative ideas, they actually, suddenly, they're real. And what's interesting uh, is that you've worked with physical products, like real products such as cars, but you've also worked on digital products. And you mentioned that you've you've got this sense of accomplishment from both, where I would guess that the sense of, of, of accomplishment would be way bigger when talking about physical products. But how do you feel? Um, that's an interesting question. I never divided it like that. No, I think the I, I wouldn't separate them because the feeling you get from people using your products that you don't know, they're not your sort of focus groups that you're paid for, but real people who have paid to use your product. That is the, the sort of exciting part of it. Um, so for me, digital is as real, I think, and and maybe not as visible, but but still absolutely an amazing experience you can create. So yeah. Okay, uh, so let's start moving into uh, the kind of work that you do currently. So. In your current work, uh, you help companies understand how digital technologies impact their business. So first off, like when when you've been looking into this, what are the kinds of things that you're most excited about in this field? Oh, there are many things. But in, in terms of technologies, uh, if that's your question, um, of course, artificial intelligence and everything within that field is just fundamentally going to change not only how we work but also how we are as human beings and I find that interesting when there is technology that not only has an impact on the process of a company or a production facilities but actually human beings and we see a lot of those technology areas now like artificial intelligence but also augmented reality and what we can see and how we can communicate and and obviously how big data and and the sort of prescriptive and predictive analytics can sort of help us understand human behavior in a different way. So there are many areas now where we, I think, are not only changing the way companies work, but also empowering human beings to be better and smarter and and stronger, Um, which, of course, there's always been an evolution. But right now, there are so many areas at the same time 
So I think the change is just especially fascinating now. Where, where's the balance between like, what, what is the users want and, and wh which part of it is, is driven by technology and, and how do you see that distinction or that difference? That in Dubai. Well, I guess my example was more where companies are right now fighting. There are quite many companies in many industries who have a product and service office, which is not at all in line with expectations of their users and customers. But on top of that, you have new technologies coming in which, yes, they're driven by technology, but I do think we're going to see a very fast adoption. If you take voice technology, for example, and you take the sort of the launch of Alexa from Amazon, the numbers you see right now, now the projection is like 50 million households by the end of this year will be using an Alexa. Yes, it's a speaker and yes, it's not that advanced, but for the first time we were actually communicating with technology. We're having some sort of half intelligent <laughs> communication with the system. We're not using buttons. We're not using screens. Technology is not hidden behind a computer or smartphone anymore. And I think that that will be so intuitive and so natural to people to use their voice. So the adoption will be much faster than what we've seen when there is a new technology behind the screen. But it's just closer to the behavior we already had. And therefore, the use of AI as, as in the cloud, the use something you communicate with, with using voice technologies, I think it's just going to feel more, if not friendlier, at least more, it's easier to understand how it works in my normal life. So the, I, I think, yes, it may be driven by technology, but I think... It's also technology that users will have an intuitive understanding of how they can adapt to their need. And therefore, probably we're going to see adoption that's faster than before. If, if you think about history with technology, it's always been so that the users have had to uh, kind of adapt their ways of working to the way that the technology works. And now it's kind of finally turning around that, that we're actually getting technology that adapts to the way that humans think and behave and, and want to operate. Is that kind of your point? Yeah, that, that's a good way to phrase it. And, and also, I think on top of that, I think we're going to see innovations um, using that technology in ways it was never intended for. It's going to sort of take its own life. So both through user behaviors, but also very creative people who can think of the true value of, for example, an artificial intelligence system in the middle of a company. Because right now it's also single-minded. We replace a customer support with AI because we used to have customer support. So let's put an AI interface that does the same customer support, but more efficiently. But we don't think about what if the AI not only answers the complaint and the interaction with the customers, but also talk to the HR department and does a performance review at the same time of all the people who meet the customers. And by the way, inform the product development team of the complaints that the customers had and maybe participate in the management meeting at the same time. What happens then in a company? And that's sort of, if it ever will happen. But <laughs> I think that sort of creative ideas will sort of just multiply the value of new technology when we start to see those sort of multifunctional approaches that are not sort of just copying the existing processes in a company. Are there any other uh, examples that you like that kind of inform how technology is changing the world or? 
I have this application in in my email just testing where I I actually before I email someone I do get a personal profile of that person so I can sort of without knowing them and when I go to a meeting I will get the same pop-up so it gives me like the computer's understanding of that person's personality and I get this score of how similar I am to this person and then I do get advice on how to communicate with that person what words to use what words to avoid and Yes, it's a bit blunt and it's not super smart, but it just gives a hint of where we're heading, that every meeting with another human being, I will have more information than reading their face and trying to remember, have we met before? And if we did meet, what did we talk about? And I will have all these cues, like knowing you before I meet you, and then also reminding me of what we said in the email before and actually what my friend Mariana has told me about you. And when that happens, it's, it's of course, like the easy, the easy uh, solution or consequences, you will sell differently, of course, because the sales process will be completely different. And every visitor to a site should obviously meet very different offers and communication. But how will we change as human beings and how we meet and communicate? That's it's just an interesting area, I think. Yeah, I, I think the the question that you posed at the very end, like how how will that change behavior and 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 what will result from that, is is I think also very very interesting because that because in like I I mean I, I get the benefits I I get how that that can be very helpful, but it can also like make all or you, if you want to be negative or think about it from a negative perspective, you can also think that that it like it's less authentic. Because it's something that a computer generated and you're not present in that moment. You don't need to listen to all the social cues in that moment because you already read up front what the social cues are going to be. <laughs> so it's it's interesting to think about. Like It is. And it's also, I agree completely. And, and the risk, the other risk on top of that would be that you can easily manipulate people. Uh, because if you do know what triggers them and you know they're existing behavior patterns that it's much easier to find ways to make you change thoughts ideas or behavior and if you combine that with the situation we have on social media with all that it uh, and the way we already see that people are sort of pushed in different directions in their opinions it can become a pretty scary tool uh, used in the wrong way so i do think it's important to discuss like how do we use these tools in a way that it's beneficial for everyone and where's the limit like where do we not want to go yeah, yeah. So a, a lot of your work is uh, has to do with digital transformations of, of companies. So if I understand correctly, what what you talk about with these uh, clients of yours, you talk about how these technologies that we mentioned should change the way that they run their businesses. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, if if we like at a very high level, how should these technologies change the way that we run our organizations or the business that we do? One, one thing that too many managers have stopped doing is to communicate a transformative vision. If you look at sort of work, leaders of big companies, uh, how they're explaining the future, it's too often a little bit about, well, we not, don't know where it's heading and it's hard to predict and we're going to be adaptive and we're going to be agile, but not an idea of where we're going. Whereas we see other leaders as Mark Zuckerberg, for example, having 10-year plans that are pretty specific. 
Like, this is what I expect from all these different technology areas. And this is why I'm going to build a way of, of interpreting thoughts into the computers directly, which he now says he want to do. I just think it's important to communicate how technology changes the world to get people on board and, and see that picture. And you need to be able to articulate that transformative vision, I think, as any leader today. And that's a good starting point because only then can you form this disruptive culture. And unless you have a disruptive culture, you're not going to change anything. You're going to have incremental changes and you can't survive with incremental change. And I think if you just look at the car industry, it's just interesting. You have Tesla on one side and then you have all Detroit. And if you look at the American market, at least, and actually they have the same technologies available. I mean, they can all use them. It's like a toolbox, but when there's Silicon Valley versus Detroit, you tend to sort of believe much more in Silicon Valley. And therefore the, 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 the stock value of Tesla is ridiculous compared to any existing car company. But it has to do with this disruptive culture, right? That's what you believe in. And, and I think many, many existing companies just have to think more carefully. How do you build for change? They've organized all these companies perfectly for operational efficiencies. They're really good at that. But very few has an idea of how do I build a company that is constantly changing? Where this, it's sort of in the structure. It's impossible not to change. That is a different organization chart than what we've seen so far. How do you start doing that? So how do you uh, get your company to, to start optimizing for the innovation instead of uh, optimizing for operational efficiency? There are a number of steps, but one is definitely to put technology at the core of the company. It cannot be a support department. It cannot be something separate on the other side. And it cannot be that you have an existing operation and then you say, well, we have digital on the other side of the street because they need their own culture. And that's fine. That's good for the other side of the street, but your existing companies will not change at all. And you don't have time for that to speed change, I think, personally. So I think you need to bring everything very close to your heart. And, and in terms of change, I think if you organize a company where you define, I think most companies will know like these are our five or six most prioritized change projects. If you would bring the project leaders for that into the management group, participate temporarily just while they're, they're delivering their project instead of having them somewhere else coordinated by some sort of project office or whatever they're called. So it, it's, it's some sort of every, every week kind of topic at the management meeting. It just changes culture and it changes also the importance of those project managers because then they're top management and not somewhere else. So they're like techniques you can use to make sure that the whole company changes, not only like small initiatives here and there, because that's, that's a little bit of a digital sickness, I think. You start small initiatives, just a, like an alibi, like check. I can report to the board, I've done it. But it doesn't change everything you do. And I think that in a lot of like corporations and a lot of big organizations and even, even the smaller ones, it's actually really hard to get anything big started. It's actually, there's a lot of like friction involved in trying to change the organization. And I feel that it's, it's actually uh, the best way to kind of get started with a change is to, to make it small, make it something that 
no one can say no to and you don't need permission to, to get started and you can just like start so what are, what are your thoughts on that like do you like where's where's the balance between like starting big initiatives and starting small uh yeah i think i was probably unclear i agree really with what you say you definitely need to start a lot of small initiatives i guess my point is that i've seen that happen and then it's so scattered and it doesn't move so i guess the trick is to start all of them but then quickly define so where are the success stories what's happening what's what has traction both in terms of talents and users and then poof just make it fly because quite often those small initiatives, they are quite successful, but the numbers are so small compared to whatever big business you have existing. That is sort of in comparison, looks like nothing. And it gets too little funding, too little attention from management team. And that was my point why you should lift it up to top management, fund it and run with speed. Because yes, you need to start small to make it happen at all, but you also need to be able to scale it. And quickly, no. just much faster than we ever envisioned, I think. Yeah. And yeah. be brave about it. Just make take some bets. Yeah, yeah. What are the ways that like you hope these technologies will change the way that we operate our companies? First of all, it should change uh, the way we make informed decisions. So that's the first thing. We should be smarter about things both knowing the the situation as it is in real time, but also predicting the impact on the future. Not only our own company, but hopefully also the impact on the environment and the social world that will be a much nicer business uh, society. Um, But secondly, I hope it's going to make us more independent as individuals. And it looks like it's going to happen, right? Because hierarchies are, are made for different information societies. So now when it, when data is available and all these tools are available across the organization, it should make it possible to work much more distributed in much more flexible networks, flexible formations. And it will be harder to be a leader in that area, much harder, but more exciting. What are the kinds of things that you feel that everyone should study or get acquainted with now? Well, the obvious answer is probably then computer science and programming. And um, I do think everyone has to be literate in technology. I really do. I know there's a lot of discussion, like not everyone needs to be a programmer. And that's true. Not everyone needs to be a programmer. But I do think if you're too far away from it, and that, that was truly my experience of Volvo, like, Unless you understand the core technology of the product, you cannot be part of building the next exciting car. It, it's just you don't speak the right language. You don't know even what to, to ask for. And I think when we work in these multifunctional teams, it's going to be so obvious. And I think in media, it was extremely obvious that you could not even define the digital product because you hadn't... Unless you had an understanding of how technology could transform the existing book or magazine or TV format. And therefore you saw a lot of digital products that were more or less copies of the physical versions, but now in your on your computer or in your smartphone. So yes, yeah, I think we need better training um just technology wise. But secondly, yeah, we need to be better to work with the computer systems like alongside. 
So what happens if you have this smart artificial intelligence virtual assistant next to you? How would that change your working behavior? Probably you should define completely new methods. And some people will be smarter than others using the powers of the computers, but adding your own competence and whatever that might be. Closing off, uh, is there a single or is there a book that you recently read that you felt that this was this was phenomenal or this was exceptionally good? I just read, uh, or that was a little while ago, I just read Homo Deus. Um, By the uh, the same guy who wrote the, the sapiens. Homo Sapiens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a great topic. Uh, I read it because I was so curious about his thoughts about human beings moving forward and how we're going to change as individuals. It wasn't as much about it as I hoped for. But he has some interesting thoughts. But then again, he has a very dystopian perspective on that we're going to have this useless class of people who cannot participate in society anymore. And I, I, I want to stay positive. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to evolve as fast as technology. But he doesn't think so. And I do think those books are interesting when we start to really question things we take for granted and, and sort of push push our thoughts on what a human can be and, and the sort of the, the different capabilities we can uh, attach to our bodies and our minds with new technology and how that changes the whole power game in, in society. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. By the time this episode comes out, I'll be in Sydney, Australia. And on Friday, when Finns traditionally celebrate midsummer by peeing out of boats at lakes, I'll be giving a keynote at the Agile Australia conference on how to build a responsive organization. When I get back home, it's time for a summer vacation. The podcast will be back in August or September. The summer is a great time to catch up on the episodes you might have missed earlier. One of my recent favorites is the one with Risto Silasma, the founder of F-Secure. The one on complexity theory with Dave Snowden is the most popular episode on the podcast. And the runner-up is the episode with the CEO of Bootsog, the home care company with 10,000 employees but zero managers. If you want to understand Lean better, I recommend listening to the episode with Niklas Moodig. Or you can just start from the very beginning and listen through every episode. There's only 37 of them. Remember to share the podcast with friends and enemies and neutrals and also write five-star reviews on iTunes. Have a great summer, everyone. Talk to you again in a couple of months. Bye. This episode is also sponsored by Talented. Talented helps you score your dream job. Or if you see yourself more as a lone cowboy and you don't really want a job, they can also help you find freelancing gigs. To help you decide what's right for you, they've built a tool to calculate how much money you'd make as a freelancer. So, for example, if you can bill 100 euros per hour from your client, you can have four months of vacation a year and still earn an 8,000 euro monthly salary all year round. So not bad. Go to talented.fi. Harry and the fine people at Talented will make all your dreams come true.